0: No more base bale or lemon sockered. This week, some big news on the EDC with the key departure of two high-profile employees. Plus, we'll have the latest on the city's response to COVID
1: and a much, much smaller portion of the show that's about stuff that is not that. Hi, I'm Troy.
0: I'm Matt. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 81. This is it. This is how the show is going to be forever. This is now we are week four of a state of local emergency in Edmonton. And I'm not going to pretend to be surprised that we are in a state of emergency anymore. No, Mayor Iverson says this is going to be the case for quite some time. So I guess we better get used to it. Okay. And I'm just going to say off the top, maybe this is just because humans acclimate to situations pretty quickly. But like, do we need a state of emergency anymore? I feel like things are, like, sort of fine. Getting that, like, you know, catastrophic economic failure, all that aside. <laughs> People still dying every day? Yeah, maybe that's a bit callous. No, I hear you. I hear you. You're right. People
1: acclimate to things very, very quickly. I think it's probably one of the reasons the council wants to be able to declare a 30-day state of local emergency like they don't need to revisit it every single week we know we're in it we know we still need to make decisions the hard way for now um, you know we don't need to be reminded of it every Thursday afternoon i don't know if i'd call them fine though we'll we'll dig into that but first we have to dig into the rapid fire segment according to alcana the company that owns stores like wine and beyond and nova cannabis Thefts have plummeted at liquor stores where the company installed ID scanners at the door. The company says they're ready to install the technology at a fourth store, but have to wait for approval from the privacy commissioner before they can continue. So for the time being, the pilot project appears to be in limbo. A source within the Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner reached out to us, on condition of anonymity, to confirm, quote, look dude, we're working from home and I do not need my driver's license getting scanned every time I'm getting plastered before a work Zoom call. We'll
0: approve it once it doesn't inconvenience or affect us personally, end quote. If you stuck around to the end of last week's episode, you might have noticed a new piece of music to close us out. Well, we didn't know it at the time, but it was an Edmontonian, Brock Tyler, who authored the song, Justin Trudeau Sings Speaking Moistly. The viral sensation, should we use that word, has been viewed over two million times. Many could be heard humming the infectious, oof, probably not that one either, tune, but for Brock, the author, he's just happy to have spread, seriously, we can't use that one either? Spread some happiness around. Lyme and Bird
1: have illegally sidewalk road to the scooter park in the sky as the city of Edmonton has opted not to renew their operating licenses for as long as the COVID-19 emergency is ongoing. While Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson was not visibly gleeful, commenting, I trust in the emergency management committee to make the right choice for our city and the safety of everyone inside it. Right now, the biggest threat to safety is COVID-19. And last year, by my panicked tone, you could tell scooters on sidewalks were almost as big of a deal. I'm not saying they're related, but if we managed to get a handle on COVID-19 by stopping the electric menace on our sidewalk, well,
0: maybe that's instructive. Speaking municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And once again, we want to talk about pod power. ATB is making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. And this episode, we're given a pod power shout out to The Shared Mic, which is Edmonton's first unscripted intergenerational podcast. The show connects two people of different ages and stages to interview each other about shared life experiences. It's hosted by Age Friendly Edmonton, a partnership between the City of Edmonton and the Edmonton Seniors Coordinating Council. And you can find The Shared Mic wherever you get podcasts or at the shared thesharedmike.blueberry.net and blueberry is spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. Uh, that's there's no e it's not not a blueberry it's it's a blueberry okay i think right off the top we confirmed it earlier in the show but we are now entering our fourth state of emergency declaration this thursday as a recording thursday evening council approved another 7 days of state of local emergency and what's what's the status what has caused us to get another week of state of emergency.
1: Well, cases in Alberta continue to rise. We're over 2100 cases now. Um, Here in the Edmonton zone, we're at at least 400. We don't actually know the true number for the last couple of days because there was an electrical outage that caused a fire at the data center and the servers are down. So go figure. Um, We do know that there's 50 deaths though in Alberta. So two more uh, today. So the numbers keep going up and that's why we're still in the state of local emergency, we aren't over the peak yet, and uh, there's still a ways to go. And the city is continuing to do things to try to address that on its own, following you know the the orders of the provincial government. Um, we talked on the last week's show about how you know the city was complaining, or a couple of weeks ago maybe about how the city was complaining about people not physically distancing, and they were worried going into the long weekend that people would you know be out and about and and crowding. Um, but this week they said. Edmontonians had good compliance with the public health orders and there wasn't too much uh, violations and they didn't have to
0: issue very many warnings. So that's good. People are still getting out. I biked uh, across River Valley Road uh, over to 149th Street today. And while there was a lot of people out on River Valley Road and the shared use path, as one would expect, people were generally physical distancing. But uh, right in Victoria Park, it was very funny to look over and see. There was like three SUVs Sort of tailgate party style had their backs propped up and they were sitting a good 10 feet away from each other, having a sort of like social distancing tailgate meetup party in the parking lot. Everyone in their own cars just chilling and talking and enjoying each other's company. We talk about adapting and we acclimate to situations pretty quickly. I'd say like that's a pretty good way where people have adapted and changed their behavior, but still get their social interaction.
1: I like that one a lot better than what I've heard some people do, which is they're just driving the Hyundai they just get in the car and go around the loop i don't like that very much no uh tailgate party in the in the park much much better (laughs) um the city also announced that buses are not going to run past midnight starting next week and lrt will stop after 10 p.m so every week it seems like they continue to restrict or
0: uh, change their approach to transit and i can understand that transit is free right now and transit's a pretty significant budget line item so if we're talking about saving money especially with the drastically reduced transit ridership, Mm -hmm. we need to reduce transit. On the other hand, transit is an essential service. And the city had mentioned when they announced this, well, like what about nurses that need to take the bus to get to the hospital? How are those being accommodated? And as of yet, we don't have an answer to that. Um, The city is implementing these transit measures starting Monday and said they're currently working on support for frontline workers. Yeah, possibly a shuttle or something like
1: that. We know it won't be an e-scooter, because we've already talked about that. Uh, The other change the city has announced is that they have uh, further expanded the road adjustments that they had made. So they had provided more space along Victoria Promenade and Saskatchewan Drive for pedestrians and cyclists. And they've just said that they're going to ramp that up a little bit. And you had some
0: information about exactly how. Well, so here's the thing. Uh, The city released this press release that went through all these changes and we just went through them. Not mentioned was they reduced the speed limit for vehicles on Saskatchewan Drive. Why has no one said anything about this? Why has no Piece of city administration communicated that information quietly. Go and do it. They didn't want to hear from you, probably, Troy. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm happy about it. And like, I only discovered because I biked past Saskatchewan Drive today. And true to form, it's very gorilla in how they've lowered the speed Mm -hmm. limit. There's the sort of road closed barriers that close off the one north side lane and they just bolted a maximum 40 sign to the road closed barriers. And that's how they've lowered the speed limit on that piece of roadway. But go figure that without all the politicking, when city administration is left to their devices to just say, what is the best choice for people in this situation, go figure that they allot more space for people and slow down vehicles. The only baffling part about this is Saskatchewan Drive from 109 Street all the way over to 99 Street, where this expansion is occurring in some form or another, and this speed reduction has occurred. This is not somewhere that is going to be 40 kilometers an hour when we do the mass reduction of residential speed limits as well as main streets. Because a Saskatchewan drive between those areas is an arterial class D non-truck route. So that means it's going to remain 50 kilometers an hour untouched by any of our changes. But right now it's 40 because it's a recognized active transportation corridor. It sort of just goes to show that a lot of our transportation planning and our safety planning and our Vision Zero is sort of out of touch with how people actually use areas in the city. Yeah, I mean, we talked about how it'd be nice to have more room for
1: pedestrians and cyclists along that road normally, not just during the pandemic. And if they did have more room, then it would make sense that cars should have to go slower because they're going to be a little closer to them. So I imagine that's why they've made the decision in this case, even though it won't have that lower speed limit, as you say, going forward.
0: The final note I'll add on that, it's just so baffling to me how a lot of the blockers for lowering speed limits is saying, we need to communicate this to drivers broadly and have education campaigns so that people can understand the lower speed limit because if you just put up a sign, no one's ever gonna notice. And yet the city had a press release where they were talking about changes and they didn't even talk about this change. And yet the signs are up and the speed has legally changed sort of makes you wonder how much of the concern was concern trolling versus legitimate concern about a practical issue. Great point. We'll move on to another part of the pandemic. So the city has laid off a large portion of its workforce in the previous weeks because COVID-19, you know, it closes rec centers, it causes budget shortfalls. This is what the city Regrettably, had to do. But this week, we saw some additional layoffs by the city.
1: Yeah. So this is layoffs for EEDC. So an agency uh, of the city. The city is the sole shareholder of EEDC. And I should just say off the top, my usual caveat here, our disclosure, that EEDC is a customer of Taproot Edmonton. And more to the point, we're going to start talking here about Cheryl Watson, who ran Innovate Edmonton, which sponsors a number of our our roundups. So you should just know that we have that relationship. Um, EDC announced in a tweet, which is apparently the new way that they announce uh, things and issue press releases, uh, that they had laid off 1,100 hourly employees back in March, over a month ago, March 12th, which is not a huge surprise because, of course, the convention center and the expo center have been shut down. And then the expo center was converted, of course, into the isolation and day use shelter for people experiencing homelessness. So not a huge surprise there. But if you keep reading the news release you'll see that uh, Derek Hudson, the former CEO, was fired. So by my count, that means he's been fired twice now by EEDC in their news releases. Um, And also Glenn Vanstone, who was the vice president of research and strategy. He ran the Enterprise Edmonton division, which honestly ceased to exist quite a while ago when most of the economic development stuff that happens outside the city moved over to Edmonton Global. And then the, the other name that was mentioned, which has gotten a lot of um, reaction so far uh, since this news came out earlier in the week is Cheryl Watson, who of course was the vice president of Innovate Edmonton. And we've talked a bit about her on the show in the
0: past. When you were talking about her and we were talking about the new leadership at the EDC, you said she was a shoo-in to become a uh, The leader of the EDC. Obviously, Davison uh, became uh, the CEO of EDC. Is it CEO?
1: Yeah, CEO. I mean, I think Cheryl and, like I said, Cheryl and Maggie um, were the two most you know, high profile people, probably they'd been there a while. Um, But Cheryl is kind of on a different level in terms of how public she is and how much she's out in the news. Um, You know, I think it's a pretty safe bet that she would be the person to lead whatever becomes of this new innovation authority that council uh, voted to move forward with on last year. It was sort of assumed that that might just spin out directly from EEDC and I suppose technically that's still going to happen but they've decided that they can't do that with Cheryl running the show and also Alex Hritzu was let go she's former communications officer for the mayor's office and has served as the director of strategy for Innovate Edmonton uh, since uh, January of last year so those two people in addition to all the our employees are kind of key folks on the innovation side of things at EEDC, and for them to both be let go and nobody else was a bit strange. But even more than that was the reaction from, or the response, I guess, from from EEDC, and basically saying, you know, it's business as usual. So we're we're all good. We're uh, all of those programs exist and will continue to exist, and the whole Innovate Edmonton team is intact, other than the two changes that you know about.
0: Break down what exactly does this mean for the EDC right now, this tech ecosystem that gets sort of mangled in what organization does what and who is responsible for which task. Is this a blow to the EEDC?
1: Well, it's certainly a blow to the innovation community if you believe the folks that have reacted pretty strongly to this online. I think, you know, EEDC was already delivered its blow by council to basically say you are just going to be about convention centers and tourism. And, you know, as we said last week, that's why it makes sense that Uh, Maggie Davison, who is in charge of tourism, becomes the leader of that organization. Like, that's not a huge surprise. We already knew EEDC was going to lose its innovation program. So currently that's Innovate Edmonton, Startup Edmonton, and uh, their joint venture partner in Tech Edmonton. Those things were all going to move into a new entity along with Health City and possibly the Edmonton Screen Industries office. Um, And that was the trajectory we were on. So, um, you know, to fire Cheryl and Alex in the meantime would suggest maybe there was some other reasoning behind it. And of course, if we look at Cheryl's tweet in response to this, um, you know, she certainly feels that way. She said, this decision is concerning. She said, quote, the work we've been doing to support YegTech has effectively been stopped, end quote. So it wasn't a, oh, you know, happy for all the work I did at EEDC, and I'm sure I'll have the opportunity
0: to work in innovation again. It was serious concern for the community. And now we had speculated in the past and you and I were sort of on the same page that you know, there's an innovation authority that's going to be developed in the city of Edmonton. That's going to be the new home for innovation. And it seemed probable that perhaps Cheryl would become the leader of that innovation authority. And If that was the case, maybe, you know, this is a temporary layoff from the EDC, you know, okay, we'll get you out of this convention center business and we'll shuttle you on to this new position at Innovate Edmonton. But that tweet does not sound like someone who is just getting a temporary position switch. Yeah, certainly not. I mean... You know, the way that council is going about this and the
1: city is going about this is that uh, the city has paid a whole bunch of money to Ernst & Young to come up with a report to tell them how to make this transition. And they're going to do that with EEDC because that's the organization, like the, the structural entity where all of these programs currently live. It would make a lot more sense for somebody at EEDC to be super involved in that transition. And Cheryl has been the person that's been championing that innovation community for the last few years now. And so for her to not be a part of that transition is potentially concerning. Reading a whole bunch of reaction from folks online, smart people like Corey Jansen, who's the CEO of Alta ML, a really, really successful tech entrepreneur in the city. And he's also on the board of Edmonton Global. And one of the things he said is that, you know, he's got direct experience in getting a new entity get off the ground. I mean, that's what Edmonton Global just went through. And he said that it takes a long time. And so he's concerned that, you know, having key people like Cheryl and and Alex now removed from that whole process is kind of like starting from scratch.
0: This is not something that another individual could be spun up immediately on. The institutional knowledge is probably a pretty significant factor.
1: Well, the other thing that's interesting is that, of course, Startup Edmonton, which is the probably biggest, most well-known program that Innovate runs and EDC runs, they just had their longtime CEO leave, Tiffany uh, Linky Boyko, And they just had a new CEO join literally three weeks ago. He His first day was done over Zoom remotely um, because we were well under lockdown by that point. And so he doesn't have any institutional knowledge about it. And a lot of the folks that are are there, I think, are are good, talented, smart people, but they don't maybe have the same exposure to the strategic level thinking that, that Cheryl and Alex were privy to.
0: So we're speculating on some of the uh, effects of this, but the CEO of EDC is bound to know the facts. Have we heard from Maggie Davison at all? She tweeted in response to to Cheryl's tweet and basically said that Innovate
1: Edmonton and its programming continues, providing entrepreneurial support as always. And she said Cheryl's work as an advocate is appreciated. She did do an interview on the Ryan Jesperson show on 630Ched and, you know, talked a little bit about the layoffs. And she said some other interesting things. She said... Um, The decision was made to eventually move Innovate Edmonton out of the EBC family and set it up uh, in collaboration with other agencies as its own individual agency. So I see that as growth. We know that um, the remaining staff are uh, perfectly capable on providing the services and programs that we do offer. And um, this will allow us to... uh, Manage that transition with the city um, as we had always planned. Essentially suggesting, you know, that they had to remove these two key people in order for that transition to move forward. Almost implying that she couldn't see how we could make a transition
0: um, if they were still part of the organization. We had mentioned this off the top, but this was not a broadly public release. These dismissals seem to be sort of buried within a press release. A press release that was posted as a photo to Twitter.
1: Yeah, which is the same way that they announced that they had a new interim CEO in Maggie Davison. So yeah, that was a bit of an interesting approach. Uh, at least this one didn't come on a Friday afternoon, which is when you typically would post something if you're trying to bury the news. Um, and as a result, we did see a little bit more pickup in the mainstream press. But yeah, definitely an odd way to go about it. I mean, I will say for you know Maggie Davison, she's running this organization that isn't gonna have Innovate Edmonton as part of it presumably in the very near future here. Council is scheduled to talk about the next steps on this innovation authority on May 11th. And so maybe she just felt like, well, I might as well make the clean change now and not have this other senior strategic thinker hanging around trying to get the organization to do things on innovation when I don't care about innovation. I want to move forward on tourism and convention
0: centers. Maybe. I don't know. We'll move on. Council met again for an actual council meeting this week. Uh, something of a rarity these days, and it was mostly about budget. And we got to hear about an infrastructure wish list that the city has put through to the province of Alberta.
1: Yeah, we got a little bit more detail on what this is going to cost and a little bit of an update on the possible scenarios. You know, if this pandemic and the closure of uh, businesses and the physical distancing goes until the end of the calendar year, you know, the city could be looking at up to $260 million of total impact, which is a huge number for them. Um, even if it just goes through the summer and we get into September, they now think the shortfall and the budget is around $110 million. Um, so that's significant. And, um, you know, Mayor Iveson today on Thursday was talking about um, the big city mayor's meeting and, and pushing the the federal and, and provincial governments to offer some additional support for municipalities to try to pay for that. Um, but prior to the meeting, he had sent this $2.1 billion infrastructure project wish list to the province, essentially asking for you know, certain projects to continue because it'll create jobs and keep people working and, you know, bring some important economic activity into the city. And there was a few things on that list that were quite interesting, including the $290 million Lewis Farms Rec Center.
0: I saw a tweet from Andrew Knack uh, this week about how, you know, maybe the Lewis Farms Rec Center is back on the table because of provincial infrastructure money. And please tell me if I'm being very cynical and callous to have the reaction of laughing and saying, nah, that's not happening.
1: (laughs) I don't think differently. I think you're right. Uh, I thought it was interesting that they put that one forward. I think it's maybe one of those things like you put forward, you know, a distractor, thinking that what you really want them to do
0: is fund potholes so you can go around and fill all the potholes. I think that's what they want, because when you heard Kenny's release about the infrastructure funding, it was about fixing highways and provincial highways. It was basically all road work was the, uh, the general direction that he seemed to be wanting to head with his infrastructure funding. And sure, roads need work. But the Lewis Farm Rec Center is sort of the antithesis of this, let's work on asphalt and do the basics, because it's got Olympic-sized pools, diving facilities, an integrated library, gorgeous architecture. It's very much, I don't want to say extravagant, because, you know, the West End needs these kinds of facilities, and we know about integration, and we know that we need world-class facilities to serve a city of our size but it's one of the things that people on Twitter would call a pet project or extravagant.
1: Yeah, I mean, they delayed it in the budget because of the cost and, you know, it's been on the books for quite some time. So I suppose it's not a surprise that we would want to try to push it back up again. And certainly for somebody like Councilor Knack who represents that area, um, but you're right. I mean, it's a big extravagant rec center compared to, you know, roads being empty. We might as well go fill all the potholes.
0: The other thing that I bumped on this week is... When Don Iveson was talking about the uh, spending shortfalls, he said, quote, Because there is no appetite anywhere for large tax increases to address the shortfalls in revenues and our extraordinary costs, and because council does not wish to run deficits, end quote. That caught me by surprise because we've talked in the past that um, the city of Edmonton is not allowed to run deficits by provincial law. Of course, the state of local emergency does give them the power to perform borrowing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's the question of legally, can they do it? And there's maybe some question about whether they can do it for more than a year at a time. Maybe it's viewed as it's just not worth it. Um, But it does seem like an opportunity to blame the province for something that he passed on.
0: We're going to put a pin on covid for now. We've we will have updates next week because that is what we do. But there was news this week that you sent along that. To the best of my reading, has nothing at all to do with COVID nineteen. Yeah,
1: I don't think so. I mean, it was really interesting to find it because, especially because this is about development. So the story is about um, of the plans for a new building on the former Edmonton Motors site, which is the southwest corner of one hundred and fourteenth Street and Jasper Avenue. So in in Oliver. Um, And the Greek Orthodox community uh, apparently owns that parcel of land and has for nearly 75 years. Um, The dealership, of course, moved out a couple of years ago in April uh, 2018 is when they made the announcement. And now they're going to build a new building there. And it caught my eye because there's not a lot of private development happening right now because we haven't been having any public hearings to go and approve development permits and applications. Um, It sounds like this one was already in the works and uh, and they're hoping to have the building up and running in uh, the fall of
0: 2021. Um, but that's why it caught my eye. Uh, I think it is interesting that it is one of the things that has already been approved because like you said, there are no upzonings that are going to be occurred because public hearings are canceled for the time being. I do wonder if there's a bit of a competitive advantage for the developers that do have zonings that match what they want to build because i imagine at this point in time labor is going to be quite cheap for things like construction and development.
1: Yeah, depending on what the uh restrictions are on construction sites and things like that, but yeah, exactly, it could be a, a, a big competitive advantage. I don't think this one would have been very contentious anyway. This is a three-story retail building that they want to build. They've described it as quote a gem on that section of Jasper Avenue, but it's Um, you know, on this former car dealership site, which is never a good use of space in the inner city. And it's going to be flanked by a couple of other really tall towers. So I don't think this one would have been super contentious, even if it hadn't already been sorted out.
0: So we have to close with some very, very sad news. The thing that has hit me most personally is the news that came out this week, that Fringe is canceled. Officially, the, uh, 39th Edmonton Fringe Festival will not be happening this year, and Fringe will return in 2021. Sometimes it simply isn't possible for the shows to go on, was the name of their news release. I
1: thought of you when I saw that, Troy, because I know how much of a fan you are. And, you know, Karen uh, Unlin, my Taproot co-founder and I were talking about this, like Fringe is one of those events that really defines Edmonton in the summer. You think about big major events and the Fringe
0: immediately comes to mind. We have the second largest Fringe festival in the entire world, uh, Edmonton Fringe is, Um, second only to Edinburgh Fringe, which was also announced to be cancelled. Scotland has been particularly hard hit by uh, COVID-19. You're right, you get to the Fringe and you're like, really?
1: The Fringe? I guess that means everything that comes before it needs to be canceled, too. But um,
0: it's a big, big decision. I hate to criticize my friends at Fringe, but it was very weird in the press release. It said we're not going to be having the 39th International Fringe Festival. We've been doing this for 39 years and it will return in 2021 with the 40th. Edmonton International French Festival. And the sophomore developer in you is like, what is going on? <laughs> well, frankly, it doesn't make sense, okay? And I, I had a flurry of texts with people, and they said, well, you know, just because you don't celebrate your birthday party doesn't mean you're not getting older. And true, that's a valid point, but not in this scenario. It is not saying it will be the 40th year since Fringe started in Edmonton. That would be correct. It's saying it's the 40th Fringe Festival. If I skip my birthday party, I can't say this is my 26th birthday party because I've only had 25. Doesn't make sense <laughs> you're just sour about the whole thing yeah maybe this is the wrong thing to get really worked up about but when i'm cooped up in my house i pick my battles and they're the wrong ones <laughs> um <laughs> well fringe is cancelled we apparently k days is still holding out hope even though it
1: comes before fringe and for that matter the stampede down in calgary as well i can't see how either of those things are going to go on another festival they cancelled uh this week here in edmonton is the works and i really
0: love the graphic they shared Along with their announcement, it said, see you on the flat side. Uh, Very nice. Um, But we have to call it there. Uh, We're out of time to share with you, dear listener. But we always have time to share with our advertisers.
1: This episode is brought to you by Unit B Coworking. Unit B is a multi-company coworking space focused on helping people pursue their passions and making Edmonton its creative best. Once normal working conditions resume, you're invited to join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations, all dedicated to getting things done. Unit B is located in the historic McKinney Building on 104th Street downtown, close to everything. You can learn more about it at unitb.ca.
0: Now, we're not typically a mouthpiece for the city on this podcast, but I figured this PSA that the city shared this week deserves a reshare. And it's, hey, you see that River running with water in the middle and a bit of like ice around it. Don't walk on that ice. Not safe. Not safe to do. It's pretty melty and you'll die. Yeah. This part of the press release really caught my eye. Uh, Fire chief Brad Hookstra, he said, swift moving ice poses a very high risk. The hard truth is that if you get swept under an ice shelf by a current, we can't get to you. And I really love that candor of just like, don't go on the ice. You'll die don't be stupid we don't have time for this yeah. it very much harkens back to Ned of the floods
1: yeah there's bigger problems to worry about right now don't go on the ice
0: while you're staying off the ice uh, you can go listen to our entire back catalog of speaking municipally we have 80 episodes to share with you and like every other podcast in the world we have been hit too by covid 19 when you don't commute you listen to our podcast less we know that from the stats so go ahead just Enjoy our voices talking about traffic like we never had a larger care in the world. Um, You can always check out the timeline feature on the COVID-19 microsite on taprootedmonton.ca. And until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Matt. And we are Speaking Municipally. Municipally.